every year when Kelly comes up with some of the corniest, funny stories that anybody could ever come up with. I don't know if you've recognized that each of the last three years as I've started out the new year that I've come up with some fantastic things to humor you for the first few minutes of the new year. Last year I had emails that poured in afterwards telling me how excited everyone was that I'd come up with so much lovely humor at the beginning of the year. And so this year I've decided to start again with some fantastic humor that I know will excite you all. I can tell by the looks on your faces. A very zealous, soul-winning young preacher recently came upon a farmer working on his field, in his field. Being concerned about the farmer's soul, the preacher asked the man, Are you laboring in the vineyard of the Lord, my good man? Not even looking at the preacher and continuing his work, the farmer replied, Nah, these are soybeans. You don't understand, said the preacher. Are you a Christian? With the same amount of interest as his previous answer, the farmer said, Nope, my name is Jones. You must be looking for Jim Christian. He lives a mile south of here. The young determined preacher tried again, asking the farmer, Are you lost? No, I've lived here all my life, answered the farmer. Are you prepared for the resurrection, the frustrated preacher asked. This caught the farmer's attention, and he asked, When's it going to be? Thinking that he had accomplished something, the young preacher replied, it could be today, it could be tomorrow or the next day. Taking a handkerchief from his back pocket and wiping his brow, the farmer remarked, well, don't mention it to my wife. She don't get out much and she'll be wanting to go all three days. (laughs) I thought that was brilliant. I thought that was outstanding. Okay, a clergyman walking down a country lane and he sees a young farmer struggling to load hay back onto a cart after it had fallen off. You look hot, my son, said the cleric. Why don't you rest a moment and I'll give you a hand? No thanks, said the young man. My father wouldn't like it. Don't be silly, the minister said. Everyone is entitled to a break. Come and have a drink of water. Again, the young man protested that his father would be upset. Losing his patience, the clergyman said, Your father must be a real slave driver. Tell me where I can find him and I'll give him a piece of my mind. Well, replied the young farmer, He's under the load of hay. Huh? They're getting better. I'm on a roll. This one's true. This one is true. I, you know, I love the internet. This happened in Rome. Just, it actually happened on January 1st. This is a true story. A Sicilian man stole sweets and a packet of chewing gum so he could get arrested and spend New Year's Eve in a jail cell rather than be with his wife and relatives, Italian media reported on Friday. The 35-year-old Sicilian first showed up at a police station on Thursday asking to be arrested because he preferred spending the night in prison rather than with his family, but was rebuffed because he had not committed a crime. The man immediately went to the tobacco store next door where he threatened the owner with a box cutter as he grabbed a few sweets and a packet of gum. He then waited until police arrived to arrest him for the robbery the news agency said. He was arrested and spent the night in jail. Gary, don't you think that's funny? I think that's hilarious. On December 8th in San Clemente, California, a Burger King customer was not satisfied. Uh, When not satisfied, she called 911. Thank you, sir. She called 911, the emergency service, to protect her from a problematic cheeseburger order. She couldn't get the barbecue sauce and the burger she wanted. When she called 911, she was told that they would not help her. And then she said, quote, unquote, but you are supposed to be there to protect me. To which the 911 operator said, protect you from what? A dangerous cheeseburger? 
That's a true story. Okay, one more, because they're not they're going downhill quickly. A woman was reporting her car as stolen and mentioned that there was a car phone in it. The policeman taking the report called the phone and told the guy that answered that he had read the ad in the newspaper and wanted to buy the car. They arranged to meet and the thief was arrested. <laughs> Not bad. You thought that was funny? I did too. thought it was hilarious. Okay, it will be a year before I do that again, but uh, I wanted to do it again this year, so I did. So if you really like it, pour the emails in again. And we'll have more next year. If you despise it, then, well, don't email me, okay? Last week, we talked about uh, a God who gives hope to those who need it. We talked some of the needs that we have and the way that God is one who supplies our need. If 2009 was for you a tough year, God is one in whom we can trust. He is the one who changes circumstances and he can change yours. And the fact is, that was a fairly personal message. It's very possible that you were one who were sitting here last week thinking, I hope that 2010 is better than 2009. And I pray that if that was your circumstances, that that's the case for you. I pray that 2010 is indeed a better year for you than 2009 was. But we have more than just those personal individual hopes on which we rest when it comes to the Lord. And that's because we share a corporate life together. We are, in fact, part of the kingdom of God. And I think most of you have hopes and dreams for the church and bigger than that for God's kingdom. And I know you do, or I know I do, along with you. There's some things, in fact, that I wanted to share with you this morning when it comes to these hopes and dreams. As we enter 2010, here's some things that I've been thinking about. I want our church, and I'm not saying, by the way, that it's not already this to some degree, but I want very much for our church to continue to be a place where every person who comes in contact with our body experiences the love of Christ. I want our body to be a place where the hopeless are offered new hope. I want it to be a place where We can reach those who are lost in this world, who are lost in their sin, and reach them with the good news of Christ. I hope that we can bless the needy with the things they need most. We have lots of opportunities to bless needy people. I hope we can bless them with the things that they need most. I hope that we can teach our children and everyone the ways of Christ in this year. I think that our young parents work hard to do that. I hope that we can do that more and more in 2010. I hope that we can see all of us making progress along the path of discipleship. I would like to think that we have an ever-widening influence on our community, and I hope that that influence expands in the coming year. And then I hope that we can minister to those in our body who hurt. And there are some, even this morning as we think about Larry and Joanne and think about their hurting, and we have people in our body who hurt in various ways, and we want to be able to minister to those who hurt. But let's be honest when it comes to who we are as a church and, and maybe some, in some sense to who we are as Christians. Don't you sometimes wonder if it will ever happen in the way that we think it should? Don't you sometimes wonder that? Like do you ever think, I hope that our church 
gets everything accomplished that we want to get accomplished for the Lord, but I wonder if it's ever going to happen. There are some of you that have been Christians for a long, long time. Don't you ever wonder if things will ever be quite what you want them to be in the Lord? I was thinking this morning about how long David Lidbury has been a Christian. David has told me his story. He became a Christian as a very young man. David, how old are you now? David is 75 years old. He's getting older. He's 74. In 2010, you'll turn 75. Is that fair to say? And you became a Christian when you were, what, 13, 12? Okay. So for a long time now, David has been a Christian and has wanted, no doubt, all his Christian life for the church to flourish and to do all the things that he wants it to do and to be. But if I was to go to David right now and say, David, is our church everything that you would like it to be? I think David would say no. I think he would say, there are some wonderful things that our church does. But at the same time, I think he would say, let's see what we can do to expand the ministry and become the church that God wants us to be. Another David. David Bailey, how long have you been part of this body of Christians? Since you were born. And how old are you now? (laughs) 67 years old. And he's been a part of this body from the day he was born. So he's been here 67 years, and if I was to say to David, David, do you think that this church is everything you want it to be? Are we doing all the good things that you think God wants us to do? I think, again, that David, like the other David, would say, well, there are some good things that we do, but there are, at the same time, some other things that God would love us to do, and we'd love to see our ministry expanded. There's another David here. David, how old are you? Ten? Have you been a member of this church your whole life? He's ten years old. He's been a part of this church his whole life. And my guess is that he's going to be here a few more years. And I'm hoping that when David, this David, is 67 or 74, and he starts thinking about what the church is and what God wants it to be, that David, by the time he's 67 or 74, will be saying to himself, the church is in fact everything that God wants it to be. We're getting it all accomplished. We're doing what God wants for our body to do. Well, another way to look at this, folks, is that we've been a church now. This church family has existed for a hundred and, what is it now? Three years. A hundred and three years there has been a church of Christ in Calgary. That's a long time. But when I look around this morning and I think about how many people we've reached for Christ, the spiritual growth that maybe we want to see take place here, we've done some wonderful things. But we've been in existence for 103 years. 103 years. There's a part of me that when I think about us being here for 103 years, and just think about where we are, where we are, what we're doing, the things that we've accomplished. I think to myself, wow, are there not some more things that we can get accomplished for Christ? And when I think about what it's going to be like 103 more years from now, 
What will things be like in the year 2113? Where will our where will our church be? What will we have accomplished? What will be going on here? What ministry will have been done? What kind of progress will the Lord see taking place from this place? Now, if we were to just look at the last 103 years and think about where we are right now, you might think, well, we've done okay, but there's a lot more that we can get done. And I'd say that's exactly right. The question is, can we? Can we get more done? Can we be more what God wants us to be as a church? Is it possible for us to move forward from here and not just take baby steps forward, but but to take dramatic steps forward? Can we really be what God wants us to be? And I think we can. And let me explain to you why. Here's a passage from Lamentations chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. And this is not a pretty picture. After affliction and harsh labor, Judah has gone into exile. She dwells among the nations. She finds no resting place. All who pursue her have overtaken her in the midst of her distress. The roads to Zion mourn, for no one comes to her appointed feasts. All her gateways are desolate. Her priests groan, her maidens grieve, and she is in bitter anguish. Here's the circumstance. Judah has been attacked. Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians have taken lots of people off into captivity. And Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, weeping, they say, because he wept over the city of Jerusalem and crying in pain because of all that the city was now after the destruction, utters these words. And he talks about affliction and harsh labor. He says there is no resting place. Others have overtaken the city. The roads to the city even mourn, he says. There is no one who comes to the appointed feast. All her gateways are desolate, etc. It looks like this is about as negative a picture for God's people as you can imagine. Way, way worse than a church that after 103 years is where we're at. We've got some things that God has blessed us in. There are good attitudes here, wonderful servants of Christ. We've come to a certain degree where God wants us to be after 103 years. These people were in a completely different position, and they were despairing. And the weeping prophet cries. And it looks like, it looks like to them, with the leadership carried off to Babylon and the city destroyed, that there's not a great deal of hope. But then, we read some other words. This is from Isaiah 48, verses 3 through 6. I foretold the former things long ago. My mouth announced them and I made them known. Then suddenly I acted and they came to pass. Therefore, I told you these things long ago. Before they happened, I announced them to you so that you could not say, my idols did them, my wooden image and metal God ordained them. And God is talking to his people and he's saying, I have been for a long time thinking about what I'm going to do with you. I've been thinking about your destiny and where you are going. 
Verse 6 says, you've heard these things. Look at them all. Will you not admit them? Will you not admit that I've been working with you? And then he says, from now on, I will tell you of new things, of hidden things unknown to you. And he says this in Isaiah 48 to a people who have gone into captivity. The same people who saw the city destroyed, those are the people who are in captivity. And the prophet says, God says through the prophet, I'm going to do a new thing. I'm going to tell you of new things, of hidden things unknown to you. Look at this passage. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading grapes. New wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills. And the point is, again, First, a message of captivity, because that was the message that Amos preached for so long. But then, coming back from that, a message of hope in which he says, after the destruction, something new is going to happen. There will be so much turnover in the fields. It's going to be like the reaper is going to be overtaken by the plowman as they plant new crops and crops flourish and grapes are grown and new harvest comes. New wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills, he says. And then this passage, the time is coming, declares the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when they took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. It's a new covenant, he says. And it's a new covenant with new blessings that come to the people. And then this passage, the same one that Alan read earlier. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Don't you think that Larry and Joanne would like to hear that this morning for the old order of things has passed away he who is seated on the throne said i am making everything new and the point is is that there is always this opportunity for newness and god is the one who says he makes everything new he changes everything And so when I think about our church family and where we're at and where we've been, it's a new year. And there's a chance for new things. There's a chance for a new dynamic. There's a chance for something great and wonderful to happen. And the reason I know that is because God keeps doing that. That's what he did with Israel. After captivity comes incredible joy and the rebuilding of the city and the rebuilding of a temple and a new covenant ultimately that comes in Jesus. That's what God does. A new heaven and a new earth with no more crying and no more pain. Why is that? Because he's the one who brings new things and does the new. And so we can't for a moment think, well, things are going to continue the way they always have. We're going to slowly make some progress here. After 103 years, we'll go into year 104 and things will be okay. We don't have to think that. 2010 could be the year in which God showers down blessings upon us like we can't possibly believe. This could be the year in which he does something grand and new and shakes up this church and maybe this community because of this church and God's presence within this church. He could well do that. He has done that before. He can do that again. 
And so the question is, are we hopeful? Are we ready? Are we prayerful? Are we waiting? Are we open-minded to what it is that God wants to do among us? If he is indeed the God of new beginnings and new things. Every pew this morning has at the end some pieces of paper. And I don't know if there's going to be enough on your pew for everybody who is there or not. But if your row doesn't have enough pieces of paper, it may be that there are some rows that will have enough for you. I made 200 copies. I don't think there are more than 200 adults here, so we should be in pretty good shape. I'd like you all to take one of those pieces of paper and take out a pen or use the pen that's in the back of the pew in front of you, and I just want to give you some instructions there. If you've got extra sheets, you might want to hold those up. And if you don't have sheets, maybe somebody can come and grab some extra sheets from you. Given the fact that he is making everything new, I've got two questions. What are your dreams for our church? What are your dreams for our church? You'll see that at the top. The second question is, what can you do immediately to start making these dreams a reality? Now down below, you'll find that the first question is worded again. It says, what are your dreams for our church? Down below. And here's what I'd like for you to do. I want you to take just a couple of minutes. And I'm going to give you some time here. It's not like you need to hurry through this. I want you to write down two or three or four things that you want to see happen in our church. What are your dreams for our church? The same things that you write as your dreams for our church at the top, I want you to repeat those at the bottom. Okay? And I'll tell you why in just a second. So first, what are your dreams for our church? Work on that one and write the same things at the top underneath that question and then write them again at the bottom. Answering the question again. What if money was no object? What if money was no object and we could just do whatever we thought God wanted us to do? What are the things that you think are, are just core to who God is and therefore should be core to us. What are your dreams for our church? And then go ahead and write your answers down below, the same answers that you put up at the top under question number one. Please write those down below. And then I want you to answer the second question. What can you do immediately to start making these dreams a reality? And notice the, uh, the bolded, italicized you, talking specifically about you. What can you do 
immediately to start making these dreams a reality. If there's something that you think God really wants us to get accomplished in 2010, what role can you play and, and how can you start immediately to make that dream be fulfilled within our church family? Can you give of your time? Can you give of your money? Can you pray? Can you immerse yourself in God's word? Can you immerse yourself in service? Can you start looking out for the needs of others? And you're probably going to have some very specific things that you think, I could do this, and it would contribute to this dream for our church being fulfilled. What is that this that you can do? And then I'd like those who passed uh, the contribution bags this morning and, uh, and uh, who served the Lord's Supper, if you could come back up, please. Bill and Ed, Brian, somebody else, I think. And Daryl Bean. There we go. If you guys could take these again. But before you, before you go, let me give them instructions. I want you, if you would, to tear off the sheets at the perforated section. And I want you to put the bottom, put the bottom in the contribution bags, okay? That's why I asked you to do it twice. So we've got a, you've got a record of your dreams for our church and the things that you can do about it. And then I want to see what you put down as being the dreams for our church. So tear off the perforated bottom and then place that in the contribution bags. And we'll have these go around again. Why don't you wait just a second, guys? We'll give them another second here to make sure they get, get it written on the bottom too. Okay, go ahead. If you, if you didn't get what you want written on the bottom yet and you can't put it in the bag yet, just leave it on the pew and we'll make sure that we go around later and pick up the, the perforated sheets that you left at the bottom, okay? But leave, take the bottom portion off and put the bottom portion in the bag. Keep the top portion for yourself. When Robin and I moved here in 2006, we came with hopes and expectations, And I'm sure that anybody who comes and joins a church, you have hopes and you have expectations about what that church is going to do, what it's going to be. There are ways in which God has blessed us, and I'm thrilled that he has. But there is room for us to move further than we've moved. There is power and opportunity available to us in Christ through the presence of his Spirit for us to get more accomplished than what we've got accomplished. And I am praying so much that God will bless us in 2010 with the chance to get accomplished everything that he wants us to do. I'd like us to pray and ask God to bless us as we open this new year together in him. Let's pray. Holy Father, we thank you for the ways in which you've worked in our church in the past. But more than that, we thank you for what you're going to do in the future. God, we have hearts full of expectation only because of you. We, we have no abilities. We are weak. We are sinful. We're limited. 
but you are not. And because you are not weak, and because you are righteous, and because there are no limitations that you face, we believe that you can do more through our church family than we could ever ask or imagine. And God, we pray you would. God, I don't know what needs to change in each individual heart here in order for that person to be what they want to be in you. But I pray that you would bring it about. Break down the barriers. Give them strength. Give them commitment and fervor and excitement like they've never experienced before in their lives and make them new. And God, I pray that collectively you would make us new. Help us, Father, to have vision for ministry, vision for what we can be and reaching the lost for you, vision for missions, vision for reaching into our community in a way that we never have before. Father, I pray that you'd empower our leaders, our elders, give them strength and vision for what we can become as a church. Help us to be dependent upon your word and your spirit to be transformed. And Father, we pray that the year 2010 would be the best year in the history of the 104 years of this church. Father, we look forward for the ways in which you're going to bless and work. And we thank you this morning for your presence. It's through Christ that we pray. Amen. Curtis.